Good morning. This is Arye Lightstone with Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find us at nachumsiegel.com, jmandtheam.org. Uh, I'm here in lieu of my normal co-host, Michael Fragan. Uh, Michael isn't able to make it in this morning, and we are taking the opportunity to wish him and his family well. Hope they're enjoying this unseasonably warm uh, Monday morning here in New York City. So uh, welcome to everybody out there. We have an extremely exciting show uh, for you today. Uh, again, we are sponsored by Adorama Camera. You can find them at adorama.com or visit them uh, in their store, which is beautiful, 42nd West 18th Street here in New York. Again, 42nd West 18th Street here in New York, or you can find them at adorama.com. As we were speaking about yesterday, last week, we were talking about uh, various different forms of education technology and the various different innovations that are involved, some of them that are coming that uh, are sort of late in coming, and some of them are pretty new because the technology hasn't really caught up to what people were and have been thinking about. So uh, today, today we're going to have uh, a couple of different guests to talk about a couple of different uh, uh, innovations in the education technology field. Uh, but before we even get to that, I think it's important to talk about sort of the uh, macro uh, concept of Tech Talk. Would, would Tech Talk have existed, I want to say, 15, 20 years ago? And it's not because of the lack of technology for Tech Talk to have existed. Would it have existed because would this have been an emphasis on a Jewish show? Uh, and in general, perhaps not. Before we get uh, to that conversation, our first guest is online. Good morning, Ovi Jacobs. Hey, good morning. I'm here with uh, Harris Goodman as well. Oh, Ovi and Harris. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Uh, doing great. Thank you. Uh, you're on with R.E. Lightstone on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, we can be found on NachumSiegel.com or on jmandtheam.org. And our guests this morning are Ovi Jacobs and Harris Goodman from Late Night Labs, currently with? McMillan New Ventures. Exactly. Uh, so can, can you, before we even get into where you're at today. Can you walk through a little bit how you guys met each other and began working together? Uh, it's, it's funny you ask. Harris and I actually knew each other before we ever started working together. Uh, Harris was my brother Femi's roommate in college, and I was, for the beginning of my career, primarily uh, in Colwell and working in community work in South Florida. And... Uh, as I transitioned from that into a business role, I was basically looking for anybody who'd give me the time of day. And I knew Harris. He was working in banking. And at the time, I was, I was doing uh, an internship for a, uh, a private equity firm. And so we started working on a few deals together. And over the course of two or three years, we got to know each other more in a professional sense. So Colel Man meets investment banker and spawns what exactly? You would probably know better about that than we would, actually. <laughs> You're kind of both. But, uh, yeah, well, what ended up happening was uh, one day, you know, after working on some, some deals with Ovi and looking at some different opportunities related to clean technology investments, uh, Ovi called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, I've got this idea. I think you should leave your firm. and I'm going to move from Florida to New Jersey, and we should start something together. I'm not quite sure what it is yet. But I think it'll be okay. To which I respond, you're crazy and you have no shot at it. I, I have a job here. I'm happy. It's fine. You know, 
you're a great guy, but this is probably not going to happen. <laughs> High-level desperation on my part, by the so, way. So the Colel guy is talking the investment banker out of staying in a bank and pitching a dream, if you will, which actually, I guess, you know, we won't talk about uh, – uh, some of the findings about that, that were presented at the Aguda Convention this past weekend in terms of employment in the color world. Uh, so we're not we're not going to get into that at this exact moment. But uh, so Harris, after after Ovi pitched that and you laughed at him, what happened next? Uh, Ovi was quite persistent, uh, pretty aggressive, we'll say, and bugged me for weeks at end, probably actually months. We'll say about it. Say like a solid three months. Yeah, solid three months till. Basically, those conversations that we had ended up becoming frameworks for a thesis uh, that we had developed over those conversations regarding around specifically related to Israeli technology companies and what we had thought were opportunities for us to be able to add benefit to those companies, to, you know, specific uh, challenges that some of the Israeli tech companies in the earlier stage side were, were having, and us and our giant egos thinking we would be able to help them from New York. So, so and, this is an important point. Um, we, have, we have two fairly young guys, uh, motivated and obviously tenacious, I think we'll, we'll use, uh, and uh, fairly set in two different career tracks. And you guys saw an opportunity with that bridge from Israeli startup companies. Tell, tell me more how you guys thought about that and, and what opportunities you thought were there. Uh, I, I can talk to that for a moment. Thank you. We, we noticed that Israeli companies were really fantastic when it comes to technology, like some of the best core technology in the world. But with all of that said, uh, we also noticed that they were lacking the areas of one opportunity to get beyond relatively modest market being the Israeli economy into the broader uh, global economy. And two, we noticed that, you know, they didn't have as much marketing and and management support as other tech companies do. We figured we would be willing to offer our services and see where it went. And, you know, one thing led to another. We looked at, I'd say, about 100 companies over the course of eight or so months. And along that path, one of those companies that we started to work with was Late Night Labs. And that's kind of how we ended up where we are now. So I want to get to where you are now, but I'm curious about something. We've got lots of listeners out there, uh, and they're wondering how they can find hundreds of companies to look at in eight months. How did they show up to you? How did you find them? Then how did you whittle down the ones that you wanted to work with? Sure. So we had identified specific sectors uh, which we felt comfortable uh, where we would be able to add value to those startups. Uh, those sectors were related to education, clean tech, um, biotechnology, and pharmaceuticals. Um, and, and we thought that we'd be able to add benefits. So uh, first thing we did basically was hop on a plane and flew to Israel. And we actually flew to Israel fairly frequently. We'd fly there pretty much once every three to five weeks, depending upon the workload and the meetings that were lined up for uh, for that week. When we'd fly there for a week, we'd go pretty much Saturday night to Friday morning, to Thursday night, um, and, and fly over there for the week. And um, basically, we took uh, skills that we had acquired through our you know jobs and, and our education and a lot of hustle and network around the country, um, met with some amazing people. And opportunities started to come. And as we had success with some of those uh, startups and opportunities, we would, uh, we would be recommended to other opportunities. Um, 
that's actually how we ended up meeting with Late Night Labs, really, uh, in its infancy. Um, so it was a uh, it was a stepping stone to a to a great opportunity and uh, one in which who knows maybe we'll we'll uh, revisit one day. So, so you basically worked your networks. You you know used the old fashioned elbow grease. You got on the plane. You didn't you didn't rely on email, text messages, phone calls, etc. We didn't work networks. We built networks. Like we we didn't go there with people that we like. We went there with a few people that we knew, but it was really we just hustled. We were like, let's try to set up 20 meetings every day with anybody who's willing to talk to us. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of prep work that yeah. went into it. There was a lot of, you know, there was, there's a lot, I'd say, some of the biggest opportunities would come about through just social media in the sense of, you know who's who in social media. You know who's bringing value to that ecosystem, who's talking about interesting things, who has good information or good insight or writing intelligent pieces that you want to talk to and you want to network. And the value of social media is that uh, for those many times that are on it, it's it's basically like going to a conference where everybody's there to meet everybody else and it's a very open mentality. And so you'd reach out to people on, on you know Twitter, on Facebook, wherever it is, LinkedIn, and you'd be able to network with people through those mediums and say, hey, you know, I'm hopping on a plane. I'd love to meet with you. You know, this is our, this is our thesis. This is our goal. This is what we're trying to build. Um, do you think uh, you'd want to be a part of that? Do you think you could add value? Do you think you'd be willing to even just meet with us for, for 20 minutes for a coffee? And so we would probably have about 10 cups of coffee a day, being that we didn't have an office in Israel. So coffee shops became our, our, our office of choice. Uh, you know, with, uh, with uh, high rental properties in Israel, it's a possibility that that was a great uh, way to shoestring that budget originally. Um, what, what, what was the reception that you got from these companies? However you networked with them, whatever you know, way you got those doors open, both of you guys show up in, at the coffee shop or at their offices. What type of reception did you get? Uh, it just depends on who. I mean, we, we ended up meeting with some pretty high-level people, and they were always, you know, they're just people who want to go there and help. There is a very, very warm reception. You know, if you're committed and you're, you're like, legitimate, you're not just going there trying to make a buck, but you're committed to building something substantial that's going to really add value to the economy over time, everybody, literally everybody, will want to work with you. If you mess up, they will they will kick you to the curb fast. Like they yeah. they do not suffer fools. Um, I, I think yeah, one of the biggest fears that most of the folks in the Israeli startup scene is worried are worried about are really uh, about becoming or being treated like a fool or, or being tricked. And so really, the relationships that you build there are, are really on trust. And really, almost you're almost at a, a negative to begin with because you have to prove yourself first and prove your value. And prove what you can bring to the table, especially for a young group of, of people like ourselves who we didn't have like a name brand uh, on a banner flying behind us that people could trust and we were building our brand. And so we really were starting off almost at a negative where we would build our own our own branding there through our abilities, through our hustle, through our through our smarts. And so we were able to work with a number of companies there and add a lot of value to them, whether it was in bridging relationships to the U.S., whether those were investors, whether those were business development opportunities and bringing in um, larger corporations to start working with Israeli companies or uh, consulting for them, getting their financials in order, making sure that they understood how the money would kind of flow through their companies, or uh, honestly just even sales, uh, straight sales, just working with them to develop sales plans and even – doing a little bit of hustle for them on the U.S. side to help them generate some traction. 
So I, I want to get to how you found Late Night Labs or how they found you in one second, but you were speaking about reputation and honesty and, and having a brand, and that's a good time to bring up the fact that uh, we're on Tech Talk here uh, with uh, one of your hosts, R.E. Lightstone. Uh, Michael Fragan is not in this morning. Uh, we're hoping he's enjoying his uh, beautiful Monday morning. We are sponsored by a company that has a brand and has a reputation, and we're strongly going to encourage you to go out and check them out, Adorama.com. It's Adorama, it? more than a camera store. Um, so please uh, please take your time and, and support our sponsor. Uh, so speaking of brands, how, how did Late Night Labs find you, or how did you find them? Right, so um, funny story. Basically, Late Night Labs was really a uh, two-person operation at the time when, when we got introduced. And it was two, two fellows living in, in Renana, Israel, and it was through a mutual relationship with somebody that knew Ovi and I um, mildly well and was, you know, aware of what we were building and what we were, what, who we were trying to work with. And uh, just out of his own, you know, network effect that, hey, you know, there's this, there's this uh, technology uh, being built in Renana. It's a really interesting idea. I think with both your backgrounds, you'd probably be able to help benefit them, you know, Ovi. This is the background, not just a colonic, but uh, also did an MBA at Kellogg. And so it's quite, you know, quite handy on the Excel spreadsheet. He loves a number of other financial tools and really knows, uh, knows his way around operations. Um, and so the two of us were really able to uh, identify with, with late-night labs in its infancy and, and see what value uh, we thought we would be able to bring to it. Uh, my background is in molecular biology as well as banking, so bring, we also was able to bring an interesting, unique twist to that and an appreciation for the science because Late Night Labs is really a science company at its core. Right, it sounds like we've got a lot of ingredients. We've got a Kololnik, an MBA from Kellogg, a molecular biology fellow who also does investment banking. Sounds like a potent potion for... Uh, uh, some sort of uh, hopefully successful experiment. We, we've been talking about Late Night Labs, but we haven't introduced what Late Night Labs is to our audience. Uh, will one of you tell us, uh, please, what is Late Night Labs? Yeah, we do online science learning, and we should mention also, so the, the idea behind Late Night Labs is actually from our founder, David Jaffe. He started the company literally over 10 years ago, uh, raised some money uh, in and around that time, and when he did, uh, built the company up quite a bit, hired a number of Americans, actually was connected to a group in New York for a little bit of time. And, and when we had met David, the company had been through some changes, and uh, at that point only had two people involved. And, and was, was David's background in science, education? How did he come yeah. to this? He has a background in, in a number of different sciences, specifically mechanical engineering. Um, he worked as well uh, for GE. He worked for different he, – he's actually lives in Israel – um, and we flew back and forth to Israel to meet him a number of times, uh, got to liking each other quite a bit, and ultimately formed a partnership. Uh, what we built over the next, say, about two years or so was a company that went from an atavis world science simulation technology. So to give you an idea of the product, if you've ever used a flight simulator, it's like that with a science lab. You know, Anything you could do in a science lab, we simulate it, we make it look and feel like a video game, um, we make it... All types of uh, you know all types of engaging. We surround it with higher ed curriculum, and then Harris goes out and gets hundreds of colleges across the country to adopt it as part of their 
curriculum. So primarily it's adopted by online institutions or online programs at other institutions, but we have schools that you've heard of like MIT, like Arizona State, Penn State, Mississippi State, you know, all of the big, beach, Alabama, all of the schools vying for the, the college football national championship. One way M- M- MIT is ranked where in the BCS? MIT is a, is a small school when it comes to football, but in the world of science, it's a relatively austere brand to be able to throw out there. I'm sure. Uh, they actually use us uh, much less than some of those other schools. They use us in a very specific program, their biological engineering program. Um, we do some custom, uh, custom software development for them. Just cool to be able to go hang out with the kids at MIT. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it is. They're, they're for, really smart. For the audience at home, can you tell us how we can find Late Night Labs online? You go to latenightlabs.com. That's L-A-T-E-N-I-T-E-L-A-B-S.com. We'd love to hear what you guys think of our product. Try a demo. If you want to adopt it, call Harris. Um, Aria can get you his number. But if you're if you're a teacher in a school, high school, college, Anywhere, give us a call or just send an email to sales at com. And you went from two people in Israel, Ovi and Harris, meet David Jaffe, and next thing you know, uh, not only are you in the Nachum Siegel Network and being broadcast live to thousands upon thousands of people, but you're also, you know, there's an interesting evolution to the company. Can, can you walk us through some of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, now we, we, we built different departments. We've gone from those those two people to now a staff of 15 full-time people, so there's a lot of great American and Israeli job creation, which is a big deal. Um, we've, we've developed a real sales team. We've developed a real engineering team. We have six full-time engineers that work with us. Um, we, we work now. We, we were working with a number of Macmillan publishing brands, uh, so they're a very important company in the world of science, specifically in the world of scholarship and journal right, you know, referee journals. Uh, people are familiar with Nature, perhaps uh, the number one ranked journal sure. in the fall of science, and, and McMillan owns Nature, Scientific American magazine that they own. They own publishers like Hayden McNeil and Freeman Words, who, who have had science textbooks in the past that have been very successful. And we started working with a bunch of them, and over time, the conversation went from what's the next deal we're going to do to, you know, when are you guys going to just become part of the McMillan family? And uh, it took about a year and a half from when we started speaking to them. But ultimately, that, that was just really the best move for our company. Uh, you know, the, the opportunity to work with a giant uh, media company that does both science and scholarship and education as well as trade publication opened us up to a world of, really a world of new opportunities. So it just, it was the right move for our company at the time. Um, and now we're a part of Macmillan New Ventures, which is a group of digital first companies all owned by the same umbrella company at Macmillan. And, and you have an opportunity. I know that you're with Late Night Labs, which is now part of Macmillan, obviously. W- what's your interaction with the other digital first companies that Macmillan has? So, um, What's great about the opportunity is that we have a very strong level of interaction with a lot of the other what we refer to as portfolio products. And we are able to work very closely with them, both as a function of technology as well as a function of sales, um, as well as the ability for OB and I to work very closely with their management teams and work with them and consult with them for both their benefit and for our own. So we're really kind of one big family, 
uh, although we have separate P&Ls. Gotcha. So we're, we're just for our listeners, we're, you're listening to Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JMNTheAM.org. We're sponsored by Adorama Camera. You can find them at Adorama.com. And we're, we're very lucky this morning to be speaking to Ovi Jacobs and Harris Goodman. And uh, just to paint the picture for the audience, because Ovi and Harris aren't selling themselves quite well enough, uh, we've had the opportunity, they're selling their company very well, but uh, but themselves personally not not quite well enough. I've met with now several people who are active in the higher ed uh, ed tech world, and almost every one of them begins with, oh, you're in New York. Do you know Harris Goodman? And it's, uh, it's funny because probably about uh, two years ago or however long it was when you met Late Night Labs, uh, I don't know what it was like for you to work your Rolodex to get into meet some of these, uh, I don't know who you meet at the colleges, but almost everybody that we've spoken to, uh, whether it's an M- MIT or in Alabama, uh, expresses both an interest in what you guys are doing and, and admiration for how you guys are doing it. And I think that's incredibly, incredibly impressive. Um, can you give us uh, just... That's for, Paul Harris, by the way. He, he, he knows how to, he's a person who knows how to acquire things. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> unlike, unlike me, who just shows up and smiles. Harris is really a, I've never seen I, I think we're a yin and yang operation here. Where I, you've never seen anybody work a room, work a, just, just knows how to work it. It's really impressive to watch. <laughs> So, so there's an audience out there that's listening. They're curious how two guys, again, with your background, came and found these companies, picked the right company, was able to take it from two employees to 15 employees to, I don't know what your distribution was before, but to what it is today, I'm sure is a dramatic uh, growth. Can each of you weigh in for a minute what it was like to, to choose each other as partners uh, in the business sense and, and sort of, you know, the highlight and the low light, uh, if you will, or let's, let's say it differently, the highlight and the number one lesson that you guys have learned over your time working together? Number one lesson is choose your partners carefully. That's literally the number one lesson. We really got, I don't want to say lucky. You could say that the Rebona Shalom is Mishadeh Shiducha. We really, uh, it was it was very, uh, we, we've both worked with a lot of partners in the past. Thank thank the Lord. This is, uh, it worked out really well. It takes a lot to take that leap of faith to work with somebody. Even if you have a relationship with somebody before, once you go into business with somebody, it's a very different relationship. If you put money in there, everything changes. Like, and, literally, everything. And, and you really need to work on that relationship and respect each other. So people people in our office actually find that we have a very interesting dynamic, the way that we work together. Because most of the people we work with are not, like, you know, religious Jews or Jewish. And so for religious Jews to argue and you're – if you learn tomorrow. So you argue over Talmud and you, you, you learn together and uh, it's, it's out of respect. It's a, it's a mutual relationship in which you're both trying to get to the best possible answer. And so that's the same way that we function in the business perspective where both of us kind of yell at each other all day, <laughs> trying to figure out the best possible solution to, you know, a challenge that we're having. And, you know, to someone who's walking by, it might seem like, wow, these guys totally hate each other. The reality is, is that we're just, trying to get to the best possible answer. Uh, and any part of that process is done with complete and utter respect for each other. And, and that's really what drives, I think, the, the relationship here, the business relationship is the mutual respect that we have for each other's skill sets and for who we are as people. So really when Macmi- so when McMillan, it's funny, we go back to the Colel background uh, that, <laughs> that Ovi brought from the beginning. Uh, but uh, when McMillan acquired... Partner was a rabbi. They're pretty good. Right. That does not always work out. 
I like partnering with rabbis. I was going to say, when, when McMillan purchased Late Night Labs, they weren't aware necessarily that they were purchasing a Talmudic Academy in their, uh, in their uh, digital development department as well. Oh, they knew. They knew. Soldiers. Now, has that... Has... <laughs> they knew exactly what it was. We don't, we don't hide it. It's um, very... Both Harris and I are very straightforward about our background. Has, has that working environment filtered down to your team? Is there a open and honest, but most importantly, I think as Harris was pointing out, respectful... Uh, I want to say almost argumentative uh, fashion amongst your team, or is that really uh, limited to the two of you and the rest of the team sort of works like corporate America? We, we sort of work like corporate America. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly what you mean by that, but uh, it's not, it's not like, it's not like we're like, uh, you know, sitting in cola here. We're, it, it's a pretty standard corporate environment. We try as much as we can to not use any dirty words and, uh, and be as respectful as possible, but I wouldn't say it's, it's so... No, let, 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 me, let me take a step back. What I was hearing from Harris is that you have a environment where it, it's almost like what we've had from other callers, from, uh, from other guests from, uh, from Israel, who say that one of the reasons why it's such an innovative society is you challenge all of the, the preconceived notions. And, and as Harris, I believe, was elucidating, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth, um, you know, I was commenting about the fact that the two of you, it's not a yes environment. It's a let's find out what the ultimate truth is. Let's find out how we can be the most effective and the most efficient. And you don't always find that in corporate America, especially the larger the corporations. And I was curious, uh, maybe it's because you guys are in a, in a portfolio where it's a world that you challenge the preconceived notions. Maybe that exists anyways, and you guys are just bringing your own flavor to it. Or, or even within the vast world of Macmillan, is that a special a special uh, enclave, a special environment that you guys have helped to create? We're trying to. I wouldn't say it's pervasive in any sense. Like, we, you know, we work at a big company now. I have right. a boss. Uh, Harris has a boss. We, you know, like, we're, we're kind of regular people working at a big company since the acquisition. I mean, I think that, I think, you know, one of the things that we really tried to build early on when we were a startup was a culture. Um, a culture... Uh, that had different aspects to it, but one in which people would feel comfortable to speak their mind, one in which uh, people would work very hard and, and give 110% every day, um, and one in which everybody was mutually respected. And in, to some level, a more flat, uh, a flat structure uh, where doors were pretty much always open and, and people were respected at all levels of the company. Yeah, that, that's definitely we get something we take really seriously. Like there is everybody. Everybody can say whatever they want to anybody um, when it comes to opinion. Okay, so I, I, I think that's incredibly that special, and, and the concept of, of the culture that you've created from the get-go, and I think that was important as well. And when you get to start with two people, I guess you really get to start from the get-go, both with your partnership and and when you guys uh, became part of Late Night Labs. I know that you guys have a major presentation in just a couple of minutes, and I wanted to thank you on behalf of our listeners for your time this morning. I want to tell you on the list of questions that I've got, I didn't make it more than a third of the way down, so I'm hoping that I can get you guys to be guests again on a future show. Sure, anytime you like. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Again, uh, you're, we are on the Nachum Siegel Network. We're on Tech Talk, hosted by R.E.A. Lightstone this morning. You can listen to us at NachumSiegel.com, jmandtheam.org, on Adorama.com. Again, our guests this morning are Harris Goodman and Ovi Jacobs. And in addition to their phenomenal story, 
Uh, please check out their company, LateNightLabs.com, L-A-T-E-N-I-T-E, Labs, L-A-B-S.com. Uh, and if you're a teacher, if you're an administrator, if you're a student and you want to see how you can bring this to your school, please email sales at LateNightLabs.com. Thank you, Ovi and Harris. Our pleasure, Ari. Thank you, Ari. I appreciate it. Have a great day, guys. All right. Bye. Uh, again, you are listening to the Nachum Siegel Network at NachumSiegel.com, jmandtheam.org. You are listening to R.E. Lightstone at Tech Talk, and we are sponsored by Adorama.com, Adorama Camera. You can find them at Adorama.com. Go ahead and please support our sponsors. This is a back-to-back morning, incredibly exciting. We're, we're very grateful that uh, Dave Weinberg is joining us at relatively short notice this morning. Dave, welcome. How are you? Hey, how are you, R.E.? I am doing great. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Anytime, anytime. So for uh, for those of you listening, Dave is a is a longtime friend of mine, uh, but really a mentor in the world of entrepreneurship. And uh, he balances two worlds of which I'm a fan of both and trying to watch and learn from, from Dave how to handle both of them uh, adequately and better than adequately, efficiently and effectively. Uh, Dave, I know that you've been incredibly involved in what I'll call social entrepreneurship, uh, but also in tech entrepreneurship in the in the more for-profit side. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got involved with uh, some of the projects that you've gotten involved with? Sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me so much. It's been a while since I've been on the Nahum Siegel Network, so it's nice to get back on, and it's always fun to do uh, schmoozing with you on the phone or in person, so this is, this is great. Um, I've spent the past 10 years, as you said, sort of engulfed both in the social entrepreneurship space and um, really the tech side of, of entrepreneurship. Um, I've done a number of different things in the social world and, and got me excited about the tech world and back and forth, and so I've kept my feet in both. Right now, I am the uh, CEO and founder of Pinbooster, which is the marketing influencer platform for Pinterest. We work with major brands to connect uh, highly influential users to millions of people. And we work with globally recognized brands from Walmart, Whole Foods, General Mills, all kinds of great companies, agencies uh, all around the country that want to reach um, the really highly influential and e-commerce focused platform, which is Pinterest. Pinterest being the third largest social network behind Facebook and Twitter, 70 million active users, half of whom are moms. Great, great, great site. If you don't know about it or if your company is using it and uh, want to learn a little bit more, feel free to uh, reach out to me um, via Pinbooster. Um, but what Ari is probably alluding to is that I've got my feet wet and, and really um, got a lot of incredible experience having um, founded the Save Our Four Coalition when I was back at Yeshiva University and then moved on to a number of different things, culminating in being the director of Freedom 25, which last year um, was a project to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the Soviet Jewry Movement, which was this national coalition of 20 organizations aimed at connecting millions of people to our national historical um, importance that, that has largely been forgotten. So, Dave, it is Monday morning, beautiful day here in New York City. I hope it is in Silver Spring or Washington, D.C., wherever you find yourself. In the last four minutes, you've told me more than I plan on accomplishing this week. So we're going to try to break that down a little bit because I think some of the, not some, all of these things that you've accomplished, I think, are phenomenal projects in and of themselves. Just tell me a little bit how you got involved with, uh, got involved, founded, Saved Our Four Coalition. Sure. Um, so when I was a student at Yeshiva University, 
um, and I was a senior, I was approached by a number of students who um, were interested in what was going on in Darfur. It's a part of Africa where a genocide was occurring, and there was murmurs of things going on. This was, I think, 2004, um, and I was a political science student. I was a leader on campus, and um, I was asked if I could help do something. They knew that I was sort of a doer, right, uh, as we both were at the time. And um, we spent time understanding the problem, understanding what was going on, and we decided to create, or I, I decided to create a small organization with um, these tremendously um, talented individuals, um, Sidney Bernstein and, and a few others who, who wanted to get together and, and create something, awareness. It was awareness about the genocide. Um, so we set out a really um, lofty goal to create the first ever mass rally in New York City around this genocide happening in Darfur. And within five weeks, we brought together thousands of people in Central Park. We had um, awareness and, and organizational support beyond the Jewish world from Oxfam, from many of the churches from the United Nations um, who all came and showed up and um, YU was prominently featured. Uh, we raised a lot of money from that and awareness in the press that um, became a calling for people who were interested in this around the country. We then had weekly phone calls discussing the um, with, with leadership discussing what to do and eventually we decided to pool our money together hire staff and create the Safe Darfur Coalition, which is an organization of uh, international uh, appeal and, and support. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. I remember the rally. I remember the diversity. And one of the things that people sort of poke at at Yeshiva University, which I believe had orienta- not orientation but open house this week, uh, and you and I both as proud alum, I think, could speak to any of the parents or the students who perhaps showed up that day and said, it's a guy's campus, it's a girl's campus, everybody sort of looks the same, everybody etc. There's not a lot of diversity there. I'll tell you, I'm not positive. Maybe you could have pulled off what you pulled off at, at a different university, but the opportunity and the the warmth and, and support that why you gave, and if you were at the rally and the continuity of the organization after, I, I don't think you could argue that there's anything more diverse <laughs> that's been, uh, yeah, I that's mean, been it's created. It's funny that we're going to end up talking about why you, but I, I, I feel a very close um, appreciation and sense of Akara Satov and appreciation to the university and, and many of the leadership there. And, and, and at the time, many of my fellow student leaders who are now continue to be leaders in the Jewish community and beyond because it put us in a situation where we were offered opportunities um, to become leaders. And this was only one of the things we did on campus, right? I ran the radio station, ran a mission to Israel, a million things. Because if you wanted to do something, you could. And I think right, that, and if and if somebody of, wanted something to get really done, important to talk about, which is there's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't do. You can outwork everybody. You can out learn everybody. You can out research everybody. There's nothing, you know you can just work harder. You can right. outwork anybody, and that's important. And your reputation, certainly on campus, and and certainly following through is, and it's a famous dictum. I think if you want to get something done, go to the guy who's busy, and uh, and that I think leads us pretty nicely into Freedom Twenty Five. Talk to us a little bit about that. So um, a year and a half ago, I was approached by two incredible lay leaders, Daniel Eisenstadt from Philadelphia and Mike Granoff um, from Teaneck, although currently um, in Israel, who um, we were fascinated by the fact that although they um, and everyone else that they knew in their age group, which was um, late 30s, early 40s and beyond, 
had been transformed as Jews um, growing up in the 70s and 80s into leaders because of the Soviet Jewry movement, a movement that helped free uh, a million and a half Jews from Soviet Russia, that, that changed American Jewry, that brought everyone together on a single campaign for 20, 30 years, that raised money, that caused real action, that possibly brought down um, the Iron Curtain and, and helped get people out. And yet, no one under 30 knows a thing about it. And they were blown away by that fact, and they, they really researched it and understood it and um, decided that something needed to be done because the 25th anniversary of the March on Washington was, was coming up. The March on Washington uh, in December 6, 87, brought together around 250,000 people for a single day the night before Gorbachev came to Washington for the first time to meet with Reagan to say, let my people go. And it was a, a, a moment in Jewish history not to be repeated. It was more, you know, it was, it was the most Jews coming together since Harsinai. And um, in, in an event that was epic, that had real changes that we can point to as historical moments that we've been able to, to hear from presidents and, and state leaders and say, this really made a difference. And yet, nobody knows about it. So, we, so they hired me to be the director and create a coalition of organizations, really across the spectrum, reform, conservative, orthodox, um, camping, day school, advocacy, really everyone, to join together and create programming, uh, advocacy um, around this topic, around the 25th anniversary, and we aim to reach a million people. And by the time we had finished... Um, you know, we, we counted starting around December 6, 2013, so we, we hit over 3 million people. There's wow. now curriculum in camps, in day schools. Um, we've worked with incredible organizations, JFNA, JNF, really, and Russell Robinson put in a tremendous amount of effort, uh, really across the board. Nathan Sharansky um, lent, obviously, as, as sort of the person, but, but also um, Avital, his wife, um, was awarded and spoke and really inspired people and, and young people to recommit themselves to Jewish leadership. See, th- this is why I wanted to have you on this morning, because I think the juxtaposition, we're going to move to Pin Booster in a minute, the juxtaposition in between social entrepreneurship, you have metrics. You had different goals that you wanted to reach, but I'm going to make the argument, you're not going to know. You, Freedom 25 was successful uh, probably by any measure, certainly based upon the founders and the funders, but I'm going to make a different argument, and I'd like to have you on in a couple of years um, and have this conversation. Will we see an increased level of hands-on advocacy, hands-on leadership, hands-on um, articulation of issues from students that almost across the board, uh, there's a level of, is it apathy? Is it, you know, maybe they just communicate in a different way than traditionally we're used to. But, you know, I, I remember when my parents told me that we weren't going on vacation that summer because that money was being used to adopt a Russian family, and that was sort of like a badge of honor that uh, that the, the kids had and, and you know, the way we welcomed in some of these students into into our school in, in a in a pretty interesting way it was something that we lived, uh, and I think you being able to recreate that for over three million people in, in is so incredibly meaningful. I, I want to see what those three million views, three million hits, three million people that are touched, what they're able to do with that, and and that's probably immeasurable, is my guess. Well, it's it's a great point, and I think the the real thing is that we move the needle a slight amount forward. And that's the most important thing. And that's all you could do. It's such a huge 
community with so many different pieces that all you can hope to do is move the needle a little bit. We created something like 50 video vignettes over the course of the year, interviewing people like Cory Booker and, 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 and Nathan Sharansky and, and you know, Peter, Peter from Peter, Paul, and Mary, and all these different people who, who are, are either historically significant or involved in human rights today or, you know, to talk about different pieces of it and why it moves them so that Schools can reuse these materials and inspire their students. I also think you just created is a big deal. I also think you just created a phenomenal trivia question. When was Peter from Peter Paul and Mary Cory Booker and Nathan Sharansky mentioned in a single sentence on the Nachum Siegel network? So those of you listening out there are playing that trivia later. Keep in mind it was Dave Weinberg. 10.43 10.43 on a beautiful Monday morning, November 18th. Speaking of which, you're listening to Tech Talk, hosted this morning by REA Lightstone, normally hosted by Michael Fragan and co-hosted by REA Lightstone. You can listen to us on NachumSiegel.com, jmintheam.org. We are sponsored by Adorama Camera. You can please find Adorama Camera at Adorama.com or visit them in person, 42 West 18th Street here in New York. Uh, Dave, before we move to Pin Booster, and, and we could really have four shows with you, but before we move to Pin Booster, can you tell the audience how they can find out more about the Saves Our Four Coalition or find some of your videos at Freedom 25? Sure. Well, Freedom 25, uh, the website is freedom25thenumbers.net. So that's freedom25.net. all our videos, and you can watch and sign up and tell your stories. Um, but the coalition, while the coalition has, has ended, it is uh, nonetheless still going, and all these materials are still going, and everyone who worked on it is still um, focused on the education side of it. Right. So the, the coalition probably also did what it was supposed to do. It sparked the conversation and, uh, and led to a greater emphasis uh, here in New York and, and hopefully around the world in terms of some of the tragedies that are going on. Uh, around the world. You know, just as as an aside, I know this isn't the focus of this show, but it, it brings me special, I don't know, a warm feeling inside when you look at Israel again being one of the first responders to uh, the, an international tragedy in the Philippines. And, and, you know, you see the tweets or the articles. I believe NBC News even did a beautiful story uh, on having visited the Israeli f- field hospital in the Philippines. And uh, and the first baby that's born there named Israel, and now you got a baby Israel in Haiti, and you got a baby Israel in the Philippines, and, and uh, sort of winning over the world one one person at a time. And, and that's really what you've been focused on with, with both the Darfur Coalition and, and Freedom 25. Uh, at the end of the day, I love how you've taken those skills and put them forth uh, in Pin Booster. If you can spend one more minute on... What Pinterest is, because although it's the third largest social network, I think a lot of people don't value it because they don't know it. And maybe you can spend a minute explaining what it is and maybe how people as a company or as a user should be getting involved. Absolutely. So um, Pinterest, which if you haven't seen it, it's Pinterest.com, like interest, but with a P in front. It is the fastest growing website ever with over 50 million unique hits a month. It's going to be on your radar this year if it hasn't in the past. It is the number three in terms of uh, daily activity websites. So behind Facebook and then Twitter, there's now over 70 million users using Pinterest every day. 80% of them are female, those users. Half of them are moms. On average, they're spending 15 minutes a day, but when you speak to users, it's hours. It's a virtual pin board. 
right? And like the other 70 million users, I'm totally addicted. It's a way to organize and share all the aspirational things in your life. So if you're, let's say, redoing your kitchen or your kid's room and you find links online, you can grab them and stick them on your organized pin board. It's a great way to, to talk about stuff that you're interested in. It's not social the same way Pinterest is. It's not about the comments. It's about organizing and searching. Search is really, really powerful on Pinterest. If you're looking for something, an art project for your classroom, which my wife is an art teacher here in the Washington, D.C. area, she always finds great art ideas for a classroom or recipes. My co-founder, his wife, makes three recipes a week just from Pinterest. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. It's an incredibly powerful site. And what we do is we run, uh, it's called Native Advertising. So one second. We're, I, w- I want to get to this in one, yeah. one more second, Dave. I, I have sure. an incredibly important question, at least from my perspective. You know, recently I got on Twitter, and it took me about six months. I guess not that recently, but it took me about six months to have Twitter become a time saver for me as opposed to a time waster. Um, and I think a lot of the audience are like, okay, here's another social uh, website that's out there. It, just define for us quickly, is Pinterest going to be helpful for us if we dedicate those 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, or is it going to be something else where we're going to look back and say, where did those 10, 15 minutes go? No, it's it's a great question. So because it's not a social network in the same way Facebook and Twitter are, where you can get lost forever. Pinterest, while you can spend a lot of time on there, it's a, and you can consider it a time suck, I don't know anyone who does who feels that way because it's about organizing and monitoring. So if you're a business it's about telling your story. Things don't go away. There's no time frame to it. Your board is organized and it never it just grows. Facebook and Twitter, whatever you post eventually goes away. And eventually it could be three minutes, right? Pinterest is organized, it stays, it grows. The SEO, the the search engine optimization of your business, the, the branding of your business and your personal brand grows with time on Pinterest. And so because it's all about searching and trying to find things as opposed to, to Facebook where you can't search. There is no search. If you're trying to figure out, um, you know, a paint color for your, your room or dinner tonight, you could ask the question on Facebook and hope to get an answer that you might like. But if you're on Pinterest, you'll search for those things and you'll, you'll actually go through to the final links. It's an incredibly powerful site. It's the interest graph where Facebook is the social graph. Ah, that's, I, I like how you describe this. So, so tell me what Pinbooster does in relationship with Pinterest? Sure. So we are uh, a native advertising company, and we help um, influencers, so people on Pinterest with um, small to large follow amounts of followers. Um, we help connect them with major brands, uh, Whole Foods, Walmart, General Mills, just to name a very small group of our clients. They run advertising campaigns across Pinterest by paying our users to post. So if you're pinning all day long and you sign up for Pin Booster, we'll tell you how much you're worth per pin, and then we'll pay you that to post ads. That makes sense for you. So you'll fall into a certain demographic. We know whether you're a mom or you're a foodie or you're into home goods, and we'll only offer you campaigns that are appropriate. You you don't have to take them. We get a 40 to 60% take rate, and you can change the language even. And then you pin it, and we track how many people uh, click it and how many people repin it or repost it and then how many followers total they get. So we're, we're basically providing reach opportunity for our clients. So this is based upon the, the reputation of the users and I imagine that's why you said you have a, a 40 to 60 percent 
pin rate, take rate, whatever whatever language you use there, that's because they're very careful about what they're pinning. What, what, what's what's with that? Why wouldn't I pin if you're going to pay me to pin? Yeah, listen, just because I offer you $1,000 to pin doesn't mean you're going to because Pinterest is a curated platform. You care about what's on your board. You don't want it to look like ads. And our ads in general don't look like ads, but at the end of every description it says pound ad or pound AD, which is an FCC regulation. It's the law that you have to tell people if you're being sponsored to do something, but it's also great for both the advertiser and the end user to see that sort of transparency. Oh, that's that's cool, because I, I was concerned, and that was going to be my next question. At what point in time do your users get nervous that they are being used, but if there's this transparency that exists, I think that uh, that makes it fair for both the viewers and, and the users involved. That's right, and that's why the FCC put that in place. I don't know uh, any other company that does that um, as a general rule, but we feel it's really important. I like that. So so Pinterest is fairly new as a company. Where How did it start, and where do you see it going? Pinterest has been around for a number of years, but in the past two, it's really exploded. I meant Pinboost, right? I apologize. Year, yeah, Pinterest. Pinterest in the past year has um, grown tremendously, and now has almost $500 million have been invested in them, and they're going to grow like crazy. They're releasing um, their API, which is a programmatic way to connect to them. And us, uh, Pinbooster, we've, we've grown along with them. We've been around about a year and a half. This summer, we pivoted to a managed model, so we run campaigns A to Z for clients, and uh, we just finished a, a seed round that we're about to announce. We're um, rolling out our new site, which will come with some announcements, and, and, and things are really growing. Thank God, things are really growing. And how did you come up with Pinbooster? Uh, I had been a uh, web strategy consultant and working with major brands and nonprofits on uh, how to advise them on all aspects of um, advertising online, raising money for nonprofits. And there are two sides to the social business. If you're a business or a nonprofit and you do anything online, there's two sides to what you do. One is organic. And one is paid. Organic is uh, you could be running your Facebook page, getting people involved, spreading content. That's organic. Paid is you're paying to promote things, whether it's your own content or advertising on that site to promote whatever you're doing. Pinterest only has the organic side. Every other site has both. And so I uh, saw the opportunity and uh, jumped in with my co-founder in Toronto, uh, raised a small bit of money and, and built it out over a few months. And, and uh, it's just exploded in the past year and a half. And how, how many are you now working with Pinbooster? Sure. So we have about um, 6,500 Pinterest users. Um, we've run close to 400 campaigns. Uh, we now have offices both in Washington and in New York and the Union Square area. We have um, terrific employees. We're always looking for great interns. Um, and we're, we're expanding pretty quickly. So if somebody wants to find Pinbooster, uh, on the web or wants to, you know, look to, to intern with you, how would they find that? Sure. So it's pinbooster, P-I-N-B-O-O-S-T-E-R.com. And uh, you could always send us an email, hello at pinbooster.com. Fascinating. So wh- where, do you, where do you work out of? Um, most days I'm in our uh, Washington, D.C. office, which is actually in Roslyn, Virginia, though uh, I definitely feel like I live on Amtrak, and I spent a lot of time in New York. I was just in San Francisco and L.A. last week um, to talk to new client opportunities and, and talk to some people that were thinking of hiring, so I'm, I'm all over the place. And, and something that I think is unique about Pinbooster that we don't hear a lot of in the call it startup uh, tech world over here is you have a real revenue model. 
meaning you're not based upon the amount of users. You you actually plan on making money. That's uh, that's right, and as most of your users, I'm assuming, will understand, there's date school tuition to pay attention to. So uh, I, I'm definitely uh, a hungry entrepreneur, and we've been um, revenue positive since day one, um, and that's really important uh, when you're talking about growing a company is, is you have users, you have income, you have all kinds of different things. So we, we've done pretty well, and we're uh, very thankful for the opportunities. See, that's that's really interesting. When, when you were developing or as you're still developing this, can, can you tell us how you sort of chose to go full throttle into this? Because as I understand it, you've curtailed some of your other projects and you were a guy and still are a guy who I think can juggle so many things at once. Uh, what is it about this project that requires your undivided attention? So um, while I am good at juggling, I, I absolutely recognize the value of focus and this summer, we decided as a company with our board to pivot to this, what I mentioned before, fully managed model. So agencies and advertisers come to us with a budget segment and timing in mind, and we'll run the whole campaign for them. Uh, in the summer, um, the organization, Freedom25, uh, ended, and I became CEO. Um, we took on a small bit of funding to move us forward, and I agreed to raise a seed round and, and go out there and, and hire a business development person and just focus. And that focus changed everything. In what Absolutely. way? Just hi- highlight the maybe one, two, or three things that uh, that that focus has done for you, and and feel free to discuss that personally as well. Yeah, you know, sure. Um, well, you know, I, I think there's an important thing that we didn't get into here, and there's only a few minutes left. But we have a, a group of advisors, and I think whether you're running a company or an organization, you you always need mentors or advisors, and we have a group that is just tremendous. That um, I I can turn to right with questions, with ideas, who feel honest enough to, to tell me when I'm full of garbage and, 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 and turn us around and give us ideas and connect us to people. And um, those all coalesced together in, in August, um, and, and, and it was that them, t- you know, agreeing with me that this is a, you know, if we give it full focus and come on full-time as CEO and forget about everything else and, you know, have a salary that makes sense and move forward and, and focus on a strategy that makes sense and we just go for it. It changes everything. If there's nothing else on your mind, and you're just going for it. And every single day, you're focused on the, the few things that you can accomplish that day and move forward with the strategy in general. It, it makes a big difference. So we're, we're here on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsegel.com, jmandtheam.org, sponsored by Adorama Camera. You can find them at adorama.com. Dave, as a... You know, a guy who's been in and out of a couple of different entrepreneurial opportunities, but never having had the specific focus that you're articulating right now. What, what did your wife think when you came home and said, I'm all in on Pin Booster? She, she was ecstatic. <laughs> uh, my, my wife had a sense that this was really going to break big if, if we just gave it the chance. And uh, I'll say that it's, it's a great thing that my in-laws live not too far away and uh, the fact that I travel like crazy does not impact my uh, family life too much. Um, it's no small thing. Right, and D.C., that, that, as you bring that up, D.C. is known for a lot of things as being the hub of startup, at least to me. It's not necessarily perceived in that direction. And you said you have a New York office here in Union Square, which has a little bit more of that reputation. What's with the D.C. Uh, roots of the company, if you will? So I've been here for about eight years. Uh, I love the area. We live in Kent Mill in Silver Spring, Maryland. D.C. does have a very vibrant um, tech startup scene. Absolutely. It's one of the strongest in the country. 
it, it has roots in AOL and Discovery Channel that um, have just uh, have reverberated around the area. Some of the most successful people here put their money back into startups, um, and mentor startups. They're incredible universities and talent. But we are, in essence, uh, an advertising and relationship company, and the main agencies are all in New York. But, uh, you know, three hours door-to-door, I can be in New York, and I can do a round trip in a day, and so I do it at least every week. And uh, there's a certain quality of life, a certain um, aspect to living here that I would never give up, if you know, except maybe move to Israel. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to travel a lot and be able to live in our community. So I'd like to wrap up by thanking uh, Dave Weinberg. Dave, give us one more uh, one more um, shout out to the audience in terms of where they can find you and what you're doing. Sure. Uh, thanks again for listening. This has been Dave Weinberg with Pinbooster, and that's P-I-N-B-O-O-S-T-E-R dot com, pinbooster dot com. And you've been listening to Arnie Lightstone on Tech Talk with Jamie and the AM. Thanks, Dave. That was really kind and, and very helpful, and thank you for being a great guest. One of the questions we didn't get to but I'd like to get to uh, next time if possible is I'm curious what the market is for pin boosters specifically in, in targeted countries. Like you said, picking up and going to Israel, uh, has their marketing, is it a large enough market? Are the users in Israel uh, – specific enough in order to make a go of it there? Is it worthwhile to potentially open up a wing and a whole slew of conversations that we can have uh, in that regard? But it's really been enlightening to see you mix the social entrepreneur component with the for-profit entrepreneur component, speak about having the advisors on your board and speak about uh, you know uh, your wife's support and your in-law support, which, uh, which surely should not be underrated, but also uh, you know, focus. And if I walked away from one thing, I think it's the, it's the power of focus on one thing and, and being able to make magic with that. So, Dave, I really wanted to thank you for being our guest this morning. Thanks so much. Anytime. Uh, you've been listening to R.E. Lightstone on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. You can catch our archives on NachumSiegel.com or JMInTheAM.org. We've been sponsored by Adorama Camera. Please find them at Adorama.com. We will speak to you next Monday.